Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Jason Snell. I'm the editorial director at Macworld. Uh, this panel is called The Future of the Mac. We recently ran in print and on our website a story about the future of the Mac that um, I believe nobody here actually wrote any part of. <laughs> so it's a completely separate future of the Mac. Yeah, this an is an alternate, alternate universe. Future. Yes, that's right. It's a parallel, parallel universe. Uh, but a lot of us up here have talked about the future of the Mac and, and where Apple is going with the Mac. And uh, so we're going to have a little chat today that, that I've prepared many questions for months in advance or not. Um, my guest today, starting on the far end, uh, daring fireball proprietor, John Gruber. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for being here. Next to John is Tidbits and Take Control publishing proprietor, Adam Engst. Thank you, Jason. And proprietary Macworld editor, Dan Morin. I was going to say, I want to be the proprietor of something. This is, this is your minion, you know. Dan is a value, valued employee. So... Where I wanted to get started is actually with the Apple event that happened last year where that, that Apple called the Back to the Mac event. And when they announced it, I thought it was really exciting. There was a picture of the lion, and everybody was really excited. There was going to be a new version of OS X, and finally Apple was going to show its commitment to the Mac. And I think in many ways it did, and yet it was also somewhat controversial because a lot of what we saw was bringing the iOS back to the Mac. If it ever had left, it was going to be coming back with Lion. So I, I think we might as well just get started with, a, with that big question, which is, you know, is the future of the Mac going to be that it's more and more like the iOS? And is that, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? John? I, I think it could be a good thing, but it can't get a lot more like iOS without breaking things along the way. So here's the best example is the App Store. Uh, the Mac App Store is the biggest new thing to ship in the system in a long time. I think everybody would agree. Yes. Uh, and installation and purchasing and finding apps and updating apps is very much the iOS experience, right? It's, it's the same thing. There's, it, this is installed. You have updates. They happen. Um, but once you have the app, it's not iOS. In iOS, your app, where do your apps go? They go to your home screen. Where is the data for the app? It's in the app. So if you want to delete the app, you hold it, you hit the X, the app is gone, your data is gone. Right? The Mac has nothing like that. Right? Where do your apps go when you buy them on the Mac App Store? It looks like they go to your dock. But we all know that the dock isn't really where the app is. It's just a proxy. It's like an alias to the app. If you delete the app from your dock, you haven't deleted the app. You haven't deleted the data for the app. It's in your applications folder. So you still need to understand all of these things to really manage it. And if you buy 30 apps, right? I mean, I don't know. I have a lot of apps on my iPhone. How many apps are you going to have in your dock? And how confusing is that going to be for people who don't know things like what the applications folder is? They can't take it more iOS-like without breaking the expectations of existing Mac users about how, how apps are installed and managed. I, I think there's actually going to be... I think Apple's answer to that is that in the, in 
mess Snow Leopard, it goes to the dock. But in line, it's going to go to Launchpad. But I think Launchpad is another problem in some ways because, yeah, the home screen is an easy way to launch apps, but I actually am launching almost all my apps um, other than, like, the top five or six via Spotlight on the iPhone. Now, because I can't find them. I have seven screens of these things. All the icons are a little hard to understand. You know, on the Mac, how many round blue icons do you have? You know, icons are not a great way to distinguish things for every person. And so some of these things, yeah, they make sense, but it's not like we don't have a bunch of launchers already. Launchpad's just going to be another launcher that may or may not work well. So, I don't know, I'm a little distressed for the long-time Mac user. I think for a complete novice user, someone who's never seen a Mac before, but maybe has seen an iPhone or an iPad, then yes, the changes that they, they talk about in line with, with the Launchpad and the Mac App Store, those are good. But for the rest of us who have been on for a long time and have figured this stuff out, at best, I hope they will only be irrelevant and they won't force us to change the way we want to work in bad ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with most of what Adam and John said. I think that, you know, when it comes to the Mac App Store, it, there's a lot of stuff that breaks for the longtime Mac users, not just the dock aspect, but things like, uh, you know, updates. I mean, updates work great there. They're, they work very much like iOS. If you use iOS, you know, it's very smooth. Um, but, you know, the Mac developers, for example, are the ones who now can't charge for updates or they're locked into the way Apple's doing things. Um, it's, an, it's still that, that adjustment period right now where we're floating back and forth between apps that you get from the App Store or apps that you download from elsewhere on the web and how those two things are going to continue to play together as the Mac OS progresses. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot to be seen there. But overall, I mean, I think the, the iOS, adding iOS features is, I think, the way it's going. And I think that... The, Whether the iP- or not, we like it. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think the iPad. You know, you look at the iPad, and you have a very clear indication of where you know the Mac as a concept, not necessarily the Mac as we know it today, but the concept of a of a computer, a computing device that is easy for the average person to use. I think as we progress, is going to look more and more like the iPad and the iPhone than it does like the Mac that we saw in 1984. But you want to talk about one place where we're going to have to see some changes because the iPad and the iPhone are a horrible metaphor for this right now is handling of documents. The Mac is a document-based computer. We create documents, word processing documents, spreadsheet documents, presentations. And right now, all that stuff on the iPhone and the iPad is stored in the document. And maybe you can kind of send it from one, one app to another in a truly awkward way, and then it's duplicated. You know, and if you want to move it to your Mac, I mean, that interface for file transfer on iTunes is one of the worst interfaces Apple has ever come up with. So something is going to have to change there, and we don't want to see more iOS come into the Mac as far as documents go. I, th- I think they kind of want to get rid of that, though. There's something in, in the... Well, I mean, like documents, the idea of documents, a file system. You know, I think that's something that's, that's a very hard barrier um, for new users to overcome. In the same way John was talking about, you know, we see Icon on the dock and we think of that as our, you know, application and a lot of people who are new to the Mac don't, you know, that's all there is, right? They don't think about the applications folder. So the idea of, you know, moving files around or having folders or organizing your stuff, Apple's been trying to do away with that since iTunes, right? You know, the idea of like having a, you manage everything through an application and you don't touch your MP3s really unless, you know, you're, you know, copying one or whatever. 
But like you know, look at the the way the the music software, the video software works on on your iPad. You don't necessarily work to worry as much about a file as you do look at the metadata. This is the song I want to play. You're not concerned about documents so much as you're concerned about this is a song or a presentation well, or whatever. Well, you're not on the iPad, but on the Mac we still have to be. I mean, you know that <laughs> for now, wanted all of for our now, presentations. For now, you know we have to. We have, well, but for now, but 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 there's this atomicity, this this concept of you have to have a thing at the end when you create something, you create something. Right, but aren't you conflating the current bad um, file functionality in the iOS with the concept of a simplified sort of abstracted file system? Because those are different things, right? I mean, you need to know that I have a presentation that I want to open. I'm not sure in the long run you need to know that I've got a folder, and inside that is another folder, and inside that is a file. I don't think, I think hierarchical file can, can go away. I mean, you know, I mean, again, probably needs to stick around for those of us who really do understand hierarchical filing. But still, that, that concept at the end of the day of you've got a thing, and that thing lives somewhere, is accessed in some way, right now, that's really weak in iOS. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. And, and we need to make sure that Apple doesn't say, oh, well, actually, it's pretty good in iOS, and we're going to bring that to the Mac. Right. I think we get I, any chance to I say. I think but. the conflict is that so much of what's good and popular, driving the popularity of iOS is the simplicity. And a lot of the simplicity comes from constraints. From being For, simple. <laughs> right. But there is no way to expand the, the storage. You buy a 32 gigabyte uh, iPad and that's it. There is no, there's no SD card slot. You can't add a hard drive. There isn't anything. And that's limiting if you run out of space. But the limit allows everything to be simple. Where is your stuff? It's in the app, right? On the Mac, you ca they can't... I mean, it's always dangerous to say Apple can't do something or will never... They'll never don't, do don't that. Don't challenge them. Right. They're no never needs more than 640 kilobytes They're never going to switch to Intel processors. <laughs> um, but I do think they can never take away the ability to add external storage. Even though your typical user doesn't add an external hard drive to their iMac to manage their... Uh, iPhoto library because it's so big. But pro users absolutely need that. But then just being able to do that means the, the user has to be able to determine where their data is okay, physically. One, one theme that has come up here already, which uh, it, it goes back to something Jobs said last year at the D conference, which is that in the future, people are going to want to buy uh, computers, sure, but they're going to be more like trucks. They're going to be special purpose, heavy duty, not for everybody. And what, what we've all been talking about here is this idea that in some ways these things make sense for regular users, you know, general public people. Uh, my, you know, my mom gets confused about where she saves files, and she's afraid that if she, closes the, if she doesn't close the, the, the hard drive folder on the finder, she, she leaves it open, things will happen, dust will fall in there. Um, and, and so... But there are power users, and there are people who need to use the, the system like a truck. And I think that the, a lot of the concern is that in trying to make the product simpler for the average user, that the people who aren't the average user, are they going to have the ability to keep doing it the way they want and using it more like a truck? Or are we going to end up with an SUV? <laughs> a minivan. Yeah, something in between. Yeah, it looks like you can drive it off-road, but you really can't. 
Right, because a lot of these complaints, I think, are that, which is, oh, wait, wait, I, I totally get as, a, as an expert user that, that um, you know, regular users might not want that kind of level of detail, but I want it, so where do I go? And, and a little bit of fear, I think, that among Power Mac users that, you know, is Apple going to be so focused on these kind of simplified products that in the end, the Mac will become simplified, and if you want something more complicated, you're going to have to leave Apple and but, get a, some other, you know, PC thing in order to do technical things. As a lot of people have pointed out... Um, I think the the you know the assurance comes from the fact that even if uh, you know the iOS becomes exceedingly popular, someone has to make iOS applications, and you're going to need an environment to do it. And we're not yet at the point where, and I don't, I don't see it's going to be a while. I think before we get to the point where you're making iOS apps on an iPad or an iPhone, you just tap and slide. It's great, <laughs> you know. Just move everything around. It's gestural, it's gestures. Yes. But you know, and I think you're absolutely right that the truck metaphor is actually a pretty apt one. Um, that. There are going to be plenty of people who still, you know, and you look out there. Everybody knows somebody who's got a pickup truck, right? You know, for because that's how you, you move. That's how you move, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you need to befriend those people. <laughs> um, and I, I think that the point is that the, for a lot of us, you know, the Mac will still have the kind of power we're accustomed to, which is why I think that again that the, that the iOS devices are more like what we're what we're moving towards, and maybe the Mac is going to adopt some of those features. And I certainly hope they what that Apple won't turn off, you know, well, like a lot of that well, other well, here's, stuff. Well, here's, I mean, here's 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 a total thought experiment. What if Apple comes out with a new Mac, and it's a Mac, and runs runs Mac OS ten, but it is not expandable. It is locked down as far as getting new software on it, except via the App Store. I mean, does that make sense? And I, it's it's a weird it's a weird concept for us right. to think about, but in fact, is that what people might want? Well, and the, I mean, you the, can the see Easy Mac. You could see them something doing like that with. I mean, you know, the the MacBook Air is pretty close, <laughs> right? I mean, well, how, aside from the software but, lock. But how locked down? I mean, when you say locked down, this is one of those questions because the iOS is very locked down. I could totally see Apple ship a Mac that's locked down by default, right? That that is that dead simple to use. And the question is. Can you can you flip a switch and turn it off for the people who want to turn it into a truck, or will you need to buy a truck well, instead? You can kind of do that, that now question. too, right? Like, I mean, isn't there a simple simple, simple finder, simple yeah, finder. the parental controls? Well, you're right, but it's not the default, right? right no, right. That, it's that you know, right now but, you start but, with the hard but mode, but it's not the default. But it, what if you're you know Joe consumer who has never had a computer before, and you know got this phone, and you know you want a computer to be able to have a I don't know a bigger screen or whatever it is, and you just had to go get this Mac. Does it make sense to give you that thing where that simple mode is the default? The Mac App Store is the only way to get stuff without it's like know, training being able wheels. To unlock it. John? Could, could they ship a Mac that doesn't have the Finder visible by default? I mean, I think that's yeah. what it would be. It would be a Mac without the Finder. And if they did that, would you would you still be able to turn on the Finder? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us might like it if the Finder went you away. Just blew my mind. But I mean, you know, think about it in the in the ways that they do ship. Like when you're, I mean, back when when was it the public beta? Like there was nothing on your desktop, right? Like when that first version of OS X came out, like there were no icons. Yes. Like you know, it was it was it was totally a, a clean slate. I mean, and yes, you could open the file browser and like go and look around. But I think there are a lot of people who don't. And we get back to this idea of files, where I think, I mean. I don't spend a lot of time navigating through my folders on my machine to find the file that I want to open. I usually go to the application and, you know, open in there. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I'm, I'm just the opposite. I mean, I, I always have a Finder window in column view open on the bottom third of my left-hand monitor um, with, with very specific things. You're not very the precise side, about these the things. Sidebar. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely right there. Um, and, um, and, no, because, I mean, for me, a lot of my files are books, e-books. 
And so I'm working with a lot of files all the time, and I need to know exactly where they are. And, and, and they are always exactly where I want them to be. And it's a big list of all my titles in all sorts of different formats. And See, I, I hate and filing like things, which is one why I have a lot of crap on my desktop <laughs> and why I have like 30,000 messages in my inbox, because I hate putting things into folders. Well, no, the inbox I agree with entirely. I use <laughs> Gmail. I never change, take anything out of the inbox. Right, but Apple could say, you're, you're a publisher and you're, you're using a publishing workflow, and what really ought to happen is that the publishing tools that you use should provide you with the ability to track projects and put, and put documents in them and all of that. And why should Apple... Uh, yeah. Worry about it at that point. I, I, because no. publishing tools suck. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, so, so I think that's a, I think that's a real question. Is is will Apple leave the more advanced users behind or not, or will it be more of a um, a kind of a default approach of of saying, look, when you when you go to the Apple Store and you buy a Mac and you bring it home and you boot into it, it starts out all all pretty and simple, and the Mac App Store is there and it adds things in the right places, and there's no weird file system. And then there's a you know, but if you go to MacWorld.com and search or macOS 10 hints and you find this thing, well, I can do this, and now I'm in you know power mode or Finder mode or whatever it is. It's it's, it's like the easy jailbreak. Yeah, yeah. Although there's the argument that, that I mean, I know that people were freaking out when the Mac App Store was announced, saying this is just the first step, and that in the long run you'll have a completely locked down Mac. I have a hard time, like John, I have a hard time seeing that because I feel like the genie is kind of out of the bottle. But I can see there being a, either a default switch or a second class of Mac that is the non-pro system that is. I, super I would simple. argue, do you even need that though? Because if, I mean, starting now when the when the Mac App Store shipped, you know, like when the new Macs are shipping now, start with ten six six, and they have the App Store in the dock. And if you're just talking about those those newer users, those not you know, that's what they see. That's what they're familiar with, possibly coming from the iOS background. Are they if they already see that and know I can get my applications from there? Are they ever going to go look anywhere? Yeah, you got to get rid of the Finder. If you're going to go that way, you got to get rid of the Finder. I mean, much as, I, as I'm not suggesting it is a good a good idea, but if you don't get rid of the Finder, then then people can mess things up. I mean, this is why Apple hid all sorts of folders. This is why the system folder is locked down and permissions wise because people mess things up. Right, but I mean, in, so in the perspective you, of talking about like you want to like, see like locking down applications, I don't think there's a reason for them to do that because I think most people won't search oh. out additional oh, applications. No, but you delete it from the launch pad. That that is absolutely yeah. possible. Right. Yes, and and that uh, to John's point about what happens when you want to delete an, uh, uh, an, an app, that's the big question that I don't think we saw in the launch pad demo either. Either, and if people get savvy enough to drag things out of the dock, <laughs> yay, it's gone. Except it's not gone. It's still yeah. entirely there unless you make a new. You know, approach where you drag things out of the dock and something pops up and says, "Would you like to delete this app and all of its preferences?" And please rate it while you're at Hazel it. Hazel does that, <laughs> and and rate it. So, another thing that came out of the back to the Mac event was actually some user interface developments. Um, not only did we see the new changes that are coming in Lion with things like Launchpad, but iLife was released at that same event, and. Um, and what we saw there was uh, an interface that's very much more iOS-like. Lots of popovers. Um, I was actually grousing on Twitter the other day about um, about use of popovers in some apps. And I, I've got an app that I've been beta testing that has a popover interface. And it, it sort of drives me batty because although I love that on the, on the iPad, on the Mac, I somehow seem offended by it. I, is it. Is it a good idea to, to get that um, metaphor across all of Apple's products or... Or do we risk um, harming the Mac by kind of mixing the metaphors? I, I was surprised the other day. In fact, I had not launched iPhoto in a while. Um, 
and I launched it to show it to somebody, and I forgot that I had installed iPhoto 11. And I looked, forgotten how to use it. I, I was like, I'm staring at like a wait. There's like a share button over there, and this it all looks exactly like the iOS. Um, and in fact, one of the big things they touted at that event was the full screen mode for iPhoto, which really is like. And there, there's an interesting d- uh, dynamic, I think, there where, um, you know, the iOS, despite the, the multitasking features Apple has added, the, you know, your iPhone is not really a full multitasking device. And so they're almost imposing that on the Mac interface. And I think, but it would be weird for them to take a step backwards, really, in terms of saying the Mac is really like, you know, let's focus on one thing at a time. But at the same time, you know, and it may just be a matter of time before the, the Would iPhone Would it be for gets... regular users, though, for, the, for those sort of uh, beginner users, is the idea of one app at a time and not kind of having weird, you know, w- windows in, in, uh, yes, in weird get, places? Yes, let's do away with MultiFinder. John? Well, I, I think the best way you can kind of get a feel for where it's going is the, the mobile me web apps. So the mail, contacts, and calendar on mobile me are clearly derived from the iPad mail calendar contacts, not the Mac OS X versions. But you're using it on Mac OS X in Safari, and you can kind of get a feel for what a more iOS-like Mac would feel. And it's, it's pretty good, you know, like in terms of the... I, I think that the basic mail layout, I don't use it because it only supports your mobile me email. It's not like you can configure it with other things. But just to play with the interface, I like it way better than Mac OS X mail. The, I actually spent a fair amount of time in iPhoto 11 um, uh, doing a Christmas card and then a calendar. Um, both things where, okay, you can do this in your total new full screen interface, and it drove me batty. It, it, it really bugged the hell out of me. Because you want to do full screen because it gets unnecessary controls out of the way in theory, but everything is big. You know, it's, it's, it's like they've decided people, you know, need reading glasses and they're going to make everything a little larger, which, and, you know, for some people, well, they need to be thing. that big so that you can tap on them. Oh, wait. Yeah. Wait. But, but the Wrong real OS. problem was that it forced two different interfaces on the same thing. And so if you want to select the card you're working on and you're not in full screen mode, it's in the sidebar in the projects list. If you switch into full screen mode, you get this bookshelfy thing, which you have to scroll way the hell down to the bottom to find your card. It doesn't remember your, your scroll position ever. It's showing, you know, five items on the screen at once. So you've got to do a lot of scrolling rather than just be able to see your list. Um, and then when you got in into it, certain things that you would do would bounce you out of it. And so you'd be flipping in and out of full screen mode constantly. Um, so I found it a very jarring experience that... Um, and, and, and also, if I ever had to switch out to another app, because I was working in a calendar, so I needed to occasionally fix things in BusyCal to get the calendars all synced up and everything. As soon as I switched to BusyCal, boom, I was out of full screen mode. And well, I've got a solution for that. We'll make every app run in full screen <laughs> mode, and there won't be a non-full screen mode, and, and then it'll be much clearer. We will call that year 1989. <laughs> well, and, and single app at a time is not inherently a bad thing. I'm actually not a huge fan of multitasking what I'm a fan of is being able to see multiple views of things. It's not like you can work in two apps, but I, I want my web browser up while I'm writing an article. You know, those, I need to see those at the same time. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing, though, that I think... It, that it's two different issues. It's One is the layout within that's iOS-like, and, and the single window mode is definitely... The other thing, and I don't, I don't know where they're going with that. And I always go back to that purple button on the 
the Mac OS 10 public beta from like 1999 <laughs> or 2000 or so. I mean, it's, it's sort of obscure, but the first public beta of Mac OS yeah. 10, or maybe it wasn't even released as a public beta, it was like a WWDC demo. No, but, it had it, yeah. But they the moved the window controls in the Mac, and on the upper right was a purple button that if you hit it, changed you into a mode where you could only have one window on your screen at a time. And in hindsight, you can see that it was, they're thinking about where they've gone with iOS, right? But it's, it just, like, your foundations, your conceptual foundations really matter. And if you have a system like iOS that it's designed not with Windows, but with just a screen, and one app at a time gets the screen, it's, it, it can work. And if you start with a foundation that assumes multiple Windows, it's really, really hard to put a single window full screen mode on top of that. Well, one of the things that I've, I've run into is that what I think is brilliant about iOS, and particularly on the iPad, even more so than the iPhone, is that when you launch an app on the iPhone or on the iPad, it just becomes that app. I mean, right. that's, that's, it's, it is nothing else. And the Mac never does that. The Mac, you've always got the keyboard, you've got the screen, you, you, you're, you're separated from it, you're not touching it. And so to do a single window, you know, single full screen interface, it can work in certain cases. Obviously, it's necessary for games, and there's, there's plenty of apps where you could imagine it, but there's a whole lot where you really can't imagine it. And I'm not sure, I, I mean, we'll have to see once it actually comes out, if Mission Control, which Apple's talking about, is a new way of switching between all of this stuff. Um, as sort of having the full apps act in their full screen apps act in their own spaces, if that actually works, or if it requires too much of kind of a mental model of where everything is hiding out in hyperspace around the edges of the screen. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the hardware future of the Mac. One of the other things that happened at the Back to the Mac event was the announcement of the new MacBook Airs, and that uh, my favorite, maybe my favorite thing I've ever heard Steve Jobs say which was what would happen if the iPad and the MacBook hooked up. <laughs> um, quite an image and, and quite a thing to hear that from Steve Jobs. But um, the whole idea was that the MacBook Airs were um, taking some inspiration from the iPad. Now, some of that is marketing because they said, well, it's got, a, it's got flash storage instead of a hard drive. Well, there was a MacBook Air with flash storage before. That, that, it's not really a new feature, but they, they now all had it. And it has instant on, which... It does seem to have some software tweaks that make it throw up the last screen that you saw immediately, and then it actually wakes up and lets you move the cursor. But it gives you, it makes you feel responsive. I mean, it, it is a different Perception feeling. is important. It is, that you open it up and you can at least get your bearings and say, by the time you move the mouse, you may not, unless you're an obsessive, like, open it, move the mouse, move the mouse immediately. You may not even notice because you're sort of like, okay, where was I and what's over there? And oh, right. And then you start moving and it's like it was instant on. So interesting idea. And the Mac, made the MacBook Air in many ways relevant as a product for the first time because as a, somebody who, who's always loved the MacBook Air, I always felt like I was the kind of crazy uncle down in the basement. <laughs> it was like, really? The MacBook Air? It's so compromised. And now people are really excited about it. So long-winded question here. Um, wh where, where does the Mac hardware go from here? Do we see more... I, more ways where the Mac and the iOS devices kind of come together? Are we going to see more, you know, are hard drives on the way out? Are, are we going to see touch interfaces on the, uh, yeah, Adam, Adam's got the answers. We, we might as well just uh, 
move on then. No, I mean, are we, uh, where does the Mac go from here? Is the Mac going to evolve radically, or is it going to be more of a slow uh, slide forward? I think, I think the Air is a great indication of where it's going, and in some ways it kind of harkens back to the original iMac for me, and I think that it's the whole Apple less is more philosophy, where, you know, for example, I think, you know, the, the fact that there's no optical drive, and it has not been since they introduced the Air, is, is a clear indication of where they're going because, you know, people have asked Steve Jobs about Blu-ray, for example, and he says, you know, we're not, we're not playing that game. It's a bag, it's a bag of, of hurt, hurt. yes. Um, and I think they really don't. They don't like the idea of having too much, you know, too many options or having to worry about where you, you know, how many discs you have or what have you. And so I think the fact that they're going that way, and maybe not directly towards, you know, the iPad where it's like the dock connector and that's it. Um, but, you know, the idea of maybe having a couple of USB ports and a, and a you know headphone jack um, and maybe not even that in the future if you go to like bluetooth headphones or something but i think you know reducing the number of moving pieces and the, the ways you can connect things is definitely an idea of where they're moving from here one of the things that um they they haven't said anything about but uh we have become huge dropbox fans we love Dropbox. Yeah. And, and it's just, it is so brilliant to be able to pop something into your Dropbox folder and have it just suddenly appear on all of the other connected and shared Macs. And when I look at Apple doing, putting these SSDs or flash storage of whatever types of relatively small quantities in these, in these machines, and I think if only we had Dropbox built in so that you could go beyond that local storage for what you really need to go beyond it for your iPhoto library for your music library you know you just can't get that stuff fitting in there and it doesn't necessarily need to you don't necessarily need all that stuff around at all times that's what I I I don't know I have no uh, inside knowledge of Apple doing anything like this although there's that big server farm in North Carolina if only Apple made a product that kind of sinks your data (laughs) (laughs) only was good good enough (laughs) But but on the in terms of the Macs with SSD, I mean that that when I I used to have a a, a laptop as my main system, and now I have a, a desktop and a laptop and a MacBook Air, and one of the, the ways I was able to make that happen was by embracing Dropbox. Without Dropbox, I don't think I could have done it. And and as a result, having that relatively small flash storage drive in the MacBook Air doesn't matter because. Not only can I drop the things that are most relevant on the on the Dropbox, but Dropbox will actually let you sync selectively, so you can turn off the big folders and still get to them via the web interface and and not flood your uh, your hard drive with those. So, I, I think just to go back to your your bigger question about where the hardware is going, two directions: the Air and the twenty seven inch iMac. Those are really I think the only Macs that matter. If it's a portable, it should be as light and thin as possible. Otherwise, it should be as big of a display as you can possibly afford. And that's, I think, you know, I think those are the only two factors that matter hardware-wise going forward. If it's a desktop, it's a giant, giant display. Uh, and if it's a portable, it's as thin and light as possible. I think the other MacBooks, they're, 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 their days are numbered. I would have to assume that the 13-inch MacBook Pro is going to very rapidly find, and maybe even the MacBook itself will find very little reason to exist. I think the white MacBook has got to be gone. And then at some point, you know, how long can it be until we see a 15-inch MacBook Air, essentially? Right. Well, here's here's another thing which I will be interested to see if Apple starts doing with the MacBook uh, MacBooks, which is 3G wireless. You know, it's not like they don't know how to do it. They don't have everything set up with all the carriers at this point. And, you know, you need connectivity when you're out and about. 
other than having all the iPhones be able to do Wi-Fi tethering, you might Te- not need oh, it. They can do tethering? I didn't know. Well, so I, only, yeah, it's, I, I, they will be soon. I, I'm curious to know if anyone else has the experience, if either of you guys, you know, uh, in the past, I was always like a power user had to buy, you know, a tower and like had to have a great, like a huge horsepower machine. And in the years, as the years have gone by, and especially as the, the consumer level Macs have gotten more and more powerful, I have found that to be not a necessity anymore. Like I, uh, I have a mini and a and a 13 inch MacBook that work great. Well, I think and actually, I, and I, I mean, I see yeah. now. I'm looking at the iMac, like John says, like, and that appeals to me much more than it ever did before. I, I mean, I think Jason actually said it in a Mac World article some years yeah, ago. I always bought a Mac, a Power Mac, right? Yeah, the the same pro, here. power users were Power Mac guys, right? Power, or, or, power. or guys or gals? Yeah. Power Mac. Oh, it's got to be a Power Mac. I never buy anything by a Power Mac, and I bought my first iMac a couple years ago, and you know, it's got four cores and it's it's like three gigahertz it's insane i don't need i didn't need to buy a mac pro because the mac pro has become more expensive and more like super powerful with all those cores and for most people it no longer makes sense as a power machine and what's frustrating is is the last mac i bought was in fact a mac pro a 2000 early 2008 mac pro which i which i um bought purely because i needed two matched monitors I'm I'm funny that way, um, and at the time the iMac could take one monitor, but it couldn't be matched because Apple won't make their iMac the same industrial design as their monitor, and the Mac Mini couldn't handle two monitors, and um, a MacBook Pro couldn't do it um, could could do internal monitor and external monitor, but not two external monitors, you know, and, and basically all of that is not true anymore. You know, you can hook two monitors to almost anything now, and so yeah, I. I but on the other hand, I've got 10 gigabytes of RAM and, a, and, a, uh, and eight cores, and it's going to be a little hard to go down from that. So I may be a while before right, I get into that. But if you wait a year or two, you won't be going down. Yeah, I was like, with, with it, the iMac. I do have to wait a little bit longer, though. Insanely powerful, yeah. even, even now. But, but even still, I don't even begin to touch the power of this machine. I mean, it's, it's, it's just purring along at you know, 10% utility all the time. So I want to bring up touch only so that we can all dispel the notion that that, um, people are going to be reaching up and touching their screen. If anybody thinks that that's actually a legitimate direction for Apple. My arm's already tired. Um, yeah, it's holding up this I, microphone. I, I had a, I had like a five-minute FaceTime conversation once like this, and that was enough to be like, oh, my God, this, I would never be able to do this all day. But what do you make of, of Apple really pushing the idea of multi-touch as a, a, for, for pointing devices? The, the, the Magic Trackpad is an interesting... Um, Interesting product because it's really Apple saying we think that the best the best way or one of the best ways to interact with our software is with a multi-touch device. I, I really love the Magic Trackpad actually, and I, a part of that is for years my main and really only machine was uh, some variety of MacBook um, or PowerBook, and I got very used to it. And in fact, I stopped using a mouse years ago. Um, and so when I, I, this year I got set up with an external monitor and I'm using a Bluetooth keyboard and it's like, well, do I want to go back to a mouse? I've got like a wireless mouse, but it's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I love the trackpad. I love the gestures. Um, and so I set the magic trackpad up and it's just, it feels totally natural to me. So, you know, having the ability to do things, which never quite that whole weird hybrid where they tried with the mighty mouse and the magic mouse to bring gestures to the mouse. Is, is I think in a few years we will look back on that, even if, if we're not already doing it, saying, that is crazy. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to have a porting device that you then, like, lift up and do, like, gestures on. It's, it's ergonomically weird, and it just it's a strange hybrid. But having just that surface to do things like, uh, you know, the four-finger, like, swiped expose and all that, I think my only complaint is that in some ways I think they don't take, far, take it far enough. They can't do enough these days. I think, I think in hindsight... The sign that there was a problem with the basic 
mouse as interface device from the get-go was when the scroll wheel was invented. And everybody, as soon as they got a mouse with the scroll wheel, was like, how do we ever live without it? Because scrolling, it's like we didn't even know it because we didn't know anything better, but scrolling was always just not, it was fiddly, right? And the touch devices don't have that problem. Nobody has a problem scrolling on the iPhone. Uh, but is the scroll wheel the right way? I don't know. That's the main thing I use the gestures for on the Mac is scrolling. And I do miss it. Like, I'm tempted to... I don't have on my desktop set up uh, the Magic trackpad. But when I do use my Mac off my desk, and it's actually a MacBook, I love the two-finger, two-finger scroll. And if you ever go to a PC that doesn't oh, have it, oh, it's maddening. It's, maddening. Yeah. it's so insanity-inducing. It is. It's better than a scroll wheel. Like, I use a scroll wheel mouse at my desk, but I use the two fingers on the touchpad, and it is, it's better. I have to say I'm with John on this. That I, 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 my main Mac is a Mac Pro, and I do not have a Magic Trackpad. I actually I'm, I'm very odd. I use a, a Contour Designs Roller Mouse Pro, which is one of the wackiest pointing devices ever created. But I like it. Um, Adam, what we've learned about you is that we should assume <laughs> the most wacky hey, con- configuration the barometer. Possible. See, the beauty of being pressed is you get the stuff sent to you, so you can try it all. It's not just strange, and you actually get to play with it. So, Is that the upright mouse where you hold it like a soda no, can? No, no, that's, it's the roller bar. Okay. The roller bar, so you're sliding right. back and forth. But in any event, the, so on my, when I'm working on the MacBook, two-finger scroll all the time. Adore it, can't live without it. I have never used any other gesture. I, I can't remember them. I don't see them. I don't think of them. I actually accidentally did one in Transmit. Transmit has gestures for, like, moving between directories. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, ooh, what happened? Well, <laughs> I mean, they're not really discoverable. And, I mean, no, I, know, I know Apple's discoverable. Been playing with, uh, with oh, that doesn't happen anymore. We don't do discoverable. Well, I, I think that's a great point, though, Dan, that, that one of the things that Apple takes great pride in is you should be able to sit down and be able to use it. And gestures, as great as they are, you actually kind of need to learn them. This is one of the debates, not to get too far away from the future of the Mac, but one of the things about the iOS 4.3 seed that's been seeded to developers is there's a test feature that's not going to be made active, apparently, that lets you um, do these, like, four-finger gestures and pinches and things to move between apps and go to the secret handshakes. And how would you ever discover that yeah. except by accident and, and that seems kind of un-Apple well, and, and look at look at the way that they do it on the Mac which is to say if you go into the trackpad right. preference pane there's yeah, there are quick time movies yeah. <laughs> well, all right. I, you know what I think it's analogous to I think it's analogous to in the 80s and, and I'm probably going to be wrong all, about, all of the 80s well no but the Mac in the 80s and how when the Mac first shipped it was all about the mouse I mean it didn't have arrow keys there were no arrow keys on the keyboard famously because the idea was they wanted text editing that the, the primary, primary way of doing all text editing was through the mouse. Yeah. If you wanted to move the insertion point, you clicked. If you wanted to select something, you, you clicked and dragged. Uh, and then they started adding keyboard shortcuts. I think that the gestures on the iPad, like four fingers to switch between two apps, is the iPad's equivalent of keyboard shortcuts. Like, remember the first time you learned on the Mac that you could do command up arrow and command down arrow in the finder to yeah. go up and down a folder? It was yeah. like... Whoa, that is amazing. Command right. And delete. Right, because I remember, like, when I first got my Mac, and, like, the way to go back a level, I would, like, close the window and open up the hard drive again and go down. I would only ever go down. I didn't know how to go up. And then you found out the, how to do it, and it was, like, it felt like a great time saver. But normal people who don't use it so obsessively never needed to know it. You know, and the mouse was always the primary way. The home button is always going to be the primary way to switch stuff on, on iOS because it's obvious and it's discoverable. 
I do love the three finger uh, swipe in uh, tw- the Twitter app. Actually, does uh, on the Mac does a you know you go you go in to uh, see a timeline and you swipe back and it goes back to the previous screen and I can kind of get into that. Um, but, but the two finger scrolling is the is well. But the, here's is here's the a question for those for the, those of you who do use these things: Are they standard? Are they the I'm, same everywhere? No. I mean, and that's, and that's, that's, that's that is be, a problem. That's got to be one yeah. of the things that Apple's going to have to do because you can't have different gestures in different places, the same gesture in different places doing completely different things or people yeah. are going to yeah. never do it. And that's, that's why I say they don't go far enough in some ways. Is I know, feel like I mean, Apple should be working And, and on it's this. funny. I, I think it's easily forgotten. And it's, you know, people who come to Macworld Expo are not the people I'm describing. I mean, and people like us are not the people. But normal people don't use any keyboard shortcuts at all. Any. They don't know it. They don't. They don't know them. The, the number of times I have watched my mother select a message this was back in the day when she was using Eudora and go to the transfer menu and, and go to the trash me, you know trash. Right. I'm like, oh, please, right. mom, over don't. Over and over and over. That's again. One key. Right. Yeah, and that's well, the delete key. It's not even command <laughs> something. Like, it's just the delete. And she right. wouldn't do it. She no, wouldn't do you're, it. you're absolutely it right. Is, it's dangerous. So like, I say italic. You think command I. Right, but normal people think I button up there with that little I that's italicized, and it, it's a rat hole to go in that direction. That's why that Microsoft went so far in that direction with the little toolbar buttons, you know, and they got away with it. They like were like, whoa, 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 go back, and they did the ribbon with with bigger controls. But when Microsoft had Office with like shipping by default with sixty little buttons up there. There was a method to the madness. It was because they found out that if they didn't have a button up there for those things, nobody ever used them. But if they did put the button... Except for like the 5% of users right. who learned the keyboard But shortcuts. when they did put the buttons up there, no one, no one still used them because they couldn't figure out what the button did. Right. You know, that's... You right. Know, it's course, a rat icon, hole. They were trying. A problem. They were trying to get it they out. They were trying. It's so, so good to try. Another question about the future of the Mac that I want to ask. We've got about five minutes left, I think is about the future of the processor inside. Right now we've got the Macs all powered by Intel processors. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. There are no stickers on the front, though. We've established this. The, um, the iPhone and iPad are now run by a custom Apple-designed, uh, Apple, uh, Apple-named A4 processor. It's got the little silk screen or what whatever they do to, with What happened chip? to Apple's A1, or A1, A1 2, 2 and 3? Well, Apple has to not release any products with a three in the name anymore. So, um, no. So, so I'm not a, a chip. There was, there was a trademark issue with A1 steak sauce. Yeah. I, I'm not a chip guy, but um, but is this is this a direction we see the Mac going to, where Apple starts to to build its own and not and not worry so much about? I mean, I, in my presentation yesterday, I made a big deal of saying Apple likes to control its destiny and not yeah. have other yeah. people control it. And we saw that with the Intel project, where Apple knew that if IBM lagged with a PowerPC, they could just say, "Well, we're out of here." And, and so that's my that's my question: Is are, are we going to see that on the Mac on the hardware side as well, where Apple says we got to we got to do this ourselves? There's a problem here. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know that you're absolutely correct, and you know Apple doesn't want to be beholden to doesn't want to be dependent on anyone, because it can all be happy and happy, nice nice, until something changes, and then suddenly you're being squeezed from the outside. But they don't necessarily bump you off because they might depend on you sometime. I think they bump you off because I think they I think they hedge their bets, and well, then they bump you off when they're not satisfied. But they, but they with are you hedging you, their bets. I mean, basically, they're cross-compiling OS X on the A4 constantly for iOS. But if you I, get better battery life or something right. with a processor that they can control... Right. Today's MacBook Air, which we all love and adore, and it is the thickest, heaviest MacBook Air 
we're ever going to have going forward, right? <laughs> the, the, the 2013 MacBook Airs are going to make these things look like the phone book. They're going to be floppy. Right? And, yeah. the, and the way you do that, I mean, and, and if I love this story. It just came out. Somebody posted on a forum about a month ago. Somebody who, who was like a consultant at RIM. And it was in 2007 when Apple announced the iPhone here. And RIM had like an all-hands meeting to talk about it. And, it, you know, they couldn't try it. It was six months from shipping. But their conclusion was that Apple was lying, that it was impossible to build the device that they were describing today. And then it came out, and they took it apart. And they realized that it was nothing but a touch display and a giant battery. Effectively, I mean, and then just like a little tiny system on a chip was the actual computer. And they were, you know, that's what they didn't foresee. Because it used to be you'd open a computer and what was inside was a motherboard with RAM and a processor. And that, that was the dominant structure inside the box. Do you remember the engineer, when the iPad was announced, there was an engineer who posted a long scientific tract about how there's no way that the iPad could get 8 to 10 hours of battery. Exactly, yes. Physically, yeah. just the physics of it, it was yes. impossible. Right. And he was wrong. Well, right. And when because it's nothing, but a, it's nothing but a 10-inch a piece of glass and a display and a battery. It's a display with a battery, and the computer is, is minuscule. And so, actually, so the thing that I'm most impressed with in some ways by the iPad is it never gets hot. Yeah. Right. We you know, need that on the Mac, right? right? Yeah, and the Macs are being, they heat. Well, Although the, air, the, the new airs are better at that. So, John, what you're saying is that, that if Apple really believes that the direction they need to go is the, is the direction the MacBook Air is taking them, and that the, the, the chips that they can get from suppliers like Intel, you know, is not Intel's focus. Intel's not going to get them there. That's, that would be a motivation enough for them right. to say, we're out here. Any Mac developer who is writing totally Intel-dependent uh, uh, code is out of their minds. You know that if you don't think that 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 sort of switch could happen again, you're you're nuts. I mean, and and I guess the question is, you know, given the propensity for the Skunk Works project that ran 10.4, you know, all the versions of OS 10 on Intel, do you think there's a build today running on a uh, compiled for that? A4? I agree. I I would imagine there is. How could it not be? <laughs> So uh, my last question for you guys is, can you foresee a day in the next, let's say, five years where you are using um, your, your day-to-day work is getting done on a computer that is no longer a Mac, that is an iOS, you know, a, a sort of an iPad device, or, or not? And I realize this is probably a ridiculous question, but we're talking about the future well, of the Mac. So, so in five years, is the Mac in your future? You're, you're also talking to three writers who spend a lot of time inputting text, and if there's yes. one thing that the iPad a today question. is not great at, <laughs> it's inputting text. But there's nothing to say that, I mean... I think what's what's revealing to me is looking at we're only coming into what the fourth year of we're coming up on the fourth year anniversary of the iOS being launched. It has changed a lot since the original iPhone came out, and yeah. I mean no apps, no multitasking. Yeah, no. And, and I mean a, a totally different device with a much larger display. I mean, so five years from now, we're talking about you know more than you know or double the span of the of the life lifespan to date. So I think it's going to look really different, and I, you know, I'd be hesitant to rule out that I wouldn't be using something like that. And people who shake their heads and say, no, 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 it's impossible, are thinking about the limitations of it today and not the limitations of it. I mean, you could have a big screen and a keyboard in, a, you know, right. in five years. I mean, one of the things that I've talked about is that I've, I don't know whether it's in five years or exactly when, but I fully expect at some point to have, in essence, an iPad the size of a drafting table. You know, where, right, where Microsoft Surface. It, right, it, is, it is one heck of a big screen and nothing else. And if we have the software that can accomplish the tasks that I do today running on something like that, yes, I can see switching. That said, 
uh, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of publishing where I'm actually using creation tools. I'm using, you know, working in Acrobat. I'm working in Pages. I'm working in InDesign, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I do a lot of accounting where I'm yeah. using database stuff. I, I do a lot of things that do not lend themselves to the iOS model. I think there's something very illuminating if you go back and look at, like, say, science fiction shows or, or movies from five years ago, and not that long ago, and stuff that now looks antiquated. Like with the, oh, this is the future. I mean, I remember I wrote a piece several years ago when I talked about watching some episode of Star Trek where they went forward or back in time to like the 21st century and like people were using CRTs and it was <laughs> like in the 21. Well, it's like yeah. that was what they thought was the future at that in point. In some ways, the original Star Trek has done a better job in the sense yeah. that they were so far back that they could just dream crazy stuff and it's got like memory cards with the whole library on a little thing. And if, if I was to go, if I got thrown back in time, I think about this a lot when I'm <laughs> falling to sleep. I went back in time and somebody said, in the future, do you have those little cards? And I would say, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, not but, quite, but, but it's closer than in, than in the short term. Oh, Dan Moore my, oh, is my... Mean, we're like almost... This? Yes, I'm exactly. Say, so, I'm John, your, your question. Answer. I'm going to say not five years, but I'm going to say ten years. I think five years, I've still, we've, I've still got a Mac. I think you do. Yeah. I think, but I think it's five years from now, the Mac is like the SLR to the point-and-shoot camera. truck. Right. It's a, truly a pro device. And I think ten years... Probably no. Now, that sounds scary, but is it a distinction without a difference at that point? That the, the things we need to do, the work we need to do, we might not call it a Mac anymore, but we're still going to be doing the work we need to do. It just won't be. Because the iOS is going to evolve, too. Right. I mean, I mean that's the thing. Is, is Right now, we think of the iOS as, as an entertainment and consumption device for the most part. Um, you know, you can create some things on it, but it's not it's a kind of an effort. A, right. I mean, but it's not a. But it's not. That's not the point of it right now. But who's to say that we're not going to see that change again with larger screens, different input methods, things like that? And at that point, uh, the sky's the limit. But as you say, distinction without a difference potentially. Right. It's not not today. Well, this has been illuminating and uh, and proprietary. Um, I'd like to thank my guests, John Gruber, Adam Angst, Dan Moore, and I'm Jason Snell for Macworld and Macworld Live here at Moscone West in San Francisco. Thanks for being here. Thanks to our audience. And we'll see you later.